Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent American Wrestling Association podcast where we're talking about individuals. We'll talk about feuds. We got a whole bunch of things that uh, that we're talking about here. My name is Chris Tubbs. I'm getting the camera there. There you are, because you know my eyes are up here. Not you know, I'm more than just a pretty face. You'll you'll find that out. This week we are talking about the wrestlers that maybe got a little too much of a push, the ones that didn't quite pan out based on their hype and promotion, and ones that frankly deserved better. So we've got a lot of stuff to get into, and it's coming off of the heels of our Jumpin' Jim Brunzel interview. So this was an idea that George and Mick came up with, and I thought it was great. And let's go ahead and uh, bring them in right now. And and guys, before we get uh, before we get into it, feedback continues to be uh, pretty solid here, guys. I mean, George, what are you hearing? Still seeing great responses on our Facebook pages, emails, people telling us they like what we're doing, what we're talking about, and we're getting critiqued. Some good, some bad. We like that. I even had someone. Dale Spear, I'm not going to mention any names, but he is critiquing my dress. Now, I didn't think I had to worry about this, but he wanted to know why I'm wearing three layers of clothes. You're wearing a dress? Hold on. I'm going to bring you up. You're not wearing a dress. You wanted At to know why you I must have, have three you, layers You must have changed before on. the show, huh? He wanted to know why I have three layers of clothes on. This is a man Ooh. who lived here and took off and went down to the sunnier climates. And uh, I reminded him that it's been below zero since Christmas up here. And, uh, but it's been good stuff all the way around from everybody. Good numbers too, as you pointed out to us, Chris. Yeah. I've, I've been really impressed with this is for uh, you, Dale. Oh, you're not going to strip down to like your skeevies. Are you? Yeah. Then I'm going to have to take you out of the stream. Hold on. Oh, I removed him, Mick. I removed him. He's like, he's he's out of the stream. I gotta, I gotta make sure George, get your clothes on. Okay. Okay. I think he's, he's not naked. This isn't a Ray Stevens, you know, the streak. This is uh, different, Ray Stevens. So, um, Mick, uh, what have you been hearing? Tremendous response again. And at the risk of sounding like we are putting ourselves over right. a wrestling vernacular, um, we're proud of what we're doing. You know, people love hearing the stories. They love the behind the scenes. They love our individual takes on everything. And uh, nothing regimented. It's all free-flowing, and you never know what's going to happen here. And keep the response coming. We really sincerely appreciate it. Every single one of you, we really do. Thank you for supporting us, listening to us. You bet. Yeah. And uh, before we get going, shameless plug, you can follow us on all of your podcast platforms right there in the bottom of the screen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Google, Amazon, uh, YouTube as well. YouTube has been tremendous to us. And YouTube is really kind of where you get some exclusives that you don't get on the audio because we've got visual aids. we got pictures that go with it. And I, I think it's a great addition to, uh, to it. And I figure not only hearing about it, guys, YouTube is a great way for people to get those pictures because people are triggered. These memories are triggered by pictures and videos and everything and and i think it's mick i i think it's been a great addition kind of something that we thought about and and it's been fantastic oh no question about it you know you show the picture somebody might not remember a guy's name but man they were on tv every week i remember that guy you know so absolutely if you can subscribe to youtube and, and get the visuals except you know for that other guy here 
um, it, it is well worth your time. Yeah, the one in the dress, we don't, you know. Oh, hey, George. Hi, Georgie. Good morning, guys. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay. So before we get you know, to before uh, he started today, Chris announced that he was just Chris Tubbs and that he's just you know not a just a pretty face. Pretty. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, George, my eyes are up here. Uh huh. Yeah. Trust, <laughs> not, trust me, Tubbs. I'm not looking anywhere else. You were the one that was going to disrobe. I mean, what am I doing wrong? Well, so much for those big numbers we were getting. Every <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out how to pixelate the dress there, George. Yeah, please. Right. All right, hey, uh, we're gonna get into the uh, over in uh, underly uh, underly. I don't even know if that's a word, but I just made it up. Um, let's get into the trivia, Mick. Who's our trivia winner from last week? Our trivia winner is Dave Waldham from St. Joseph, Minnesota, and I wanted to know with whom did Larry Hennig hold the AWA Tag Team Championships? Got a, a lot of kind of all-over-the-board responses. Some thought, you know, Kurt Hennig was one. <clears throat> there was one, Chris Markoff, uh, on, another one. I, I Just kind of all over the place. But the two men that held the AWA Tag Team Championship with Larry Hennig were Duke Hoffman, a real name Bob Leepler, way back in 1962. And then, of course... Handsome Harley Race, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. So congratulations to Dave there in St. Joseph, Minnesota. And I will uh, send you some memorabilia ASAP. All right. Uh, love it. And we've got a brand new trivia question coming up at the uh, at the end of the show. But let's go ahead and uh, get into it right now. You guys each have a list of 10 individual or five individuals, rather, five that were overly pushed uh, five that you feel deserve better, and a couple of honorable mentions. But uh, you guys have different criteria. And, uh, Georgia, I think your criteria, I, th I think it's based in a really good historical context. What I did, Chris, is when you suggested we do this, is my five guys that I've picked as overrated. You're going to notice when I mention the names that these are I guess for all practical purposes, household names in professional wrestling, depending on the respective territories that they worked through. And many of these guys went to territories, you know, all over. But they came into the AWA and for some reason they didn't get uh, or they got the push and it didn't go over. And we'll talk about that. It's just an interesting way to look at it. And some of the names you're going to look at me and think I'm crazy. But hopefully, as mm -hmm. I explain it, you'll understand. And Mick will still think I'm crazy, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, Mick, you had, you had a different you had a different criteria. A little, little bit. Uh, George kind of focused on the household names, as he said, the stars mm -hmm. uh, that everybody knows. I kind of did a little bit of both. I I not only went with some that people will definitely remember, but some that may have been involved with the AWA. They tried to get them over and they couldn't, they just didn't do it. Maybe they were in for a cup of coffee. Uh, on the flip side, there were those that really should have gotten a better push. So uh, we look at it differently, but I think in the scheme of things, we run kind of the whole gamut of AWA history. And this was really fun uh, to do this mm -hmm. list. And I'm telling you, there are so many more out there that we could have done, but time constraints. Yeah, well, uh, let's get to it, guys. Uh, George, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with, uh, we're gonna go, Let's start with the five that you felt were maybe a little overhyped and maybe didn't live up to the expectations. Let's start with you and uh, number one here. 
Well, number one, I'm going to go with Bolinsky. Bad boy, Bull Bolinsky. Um, he was overrated. And here's my, my rationale. He came up with a perfect gimmick. Frank Shields, journeyman wrestler since the early 60s. And he came up with a perfect gimmick of an out-of-work truck driver. And he was going to beat up people and get paid for it rather than doing it on the loading docks. Well, it went over for about the first six months. You notice the program you're looking at there? He had a major program with Nick Bockwinkle right at the beginning of 1971. This was not only putting Nick over, pretty relatively new to the territory, but also trying to get Bull over. And for the most part, it was a success. But that was really the only other the only time that Bull was really on top. The rest of the time, unless they had him with the crusher, he was a preliminary guy, and it just continued as the years went on. And before you know it, he was relegated to an opening match and losing. And it, this was in the mid-'70s. But he was overrated because he was a talent that couldn't wrestle. He did need people to work for him and with him to make him look better than he was. He deserved. He deserved to be where he was at the end. A little well, aside to the Bull Belinsky story, you know, I come up with this shit all the time, Chris. <laughs> Perhaps Belinsky's his claim to fame, besides the fact that after the Bockwinkle feud, he was pretty much on a downhill slide until he left the territory. One major moment in Bull's career, he came out on television and he had bandages on his face. And Marty O'Neill asked him, Bull, what happened? Well, you're expecting, you know, the, the, this match in Chicago or whatever? Mm -hmm. No. What Bull said was, kids never play with matches around a gas stove. And that was, <laughs> that was... An actual fact, apparently Bull blew up his face uh, the night before the TV tapings. Oh, my God. I'm not sure you're going to find that on Wikipedia, but I think that's something people really need to know about Bulinski. Well, the other thing about Bulinski when you talk about blowing things up is he used to haul the ring <laughs> to the various small towns. And because there was such a long travel and everything, true story. Frank Shields used to put a big old juicy steak on the engine compartment and cooked the damn thing on his way to the town so that when he got there, he could eat. You know, and that was hot too, but he, that's what he tells us. He used to do it on the big semis, he said, when he was truck driving. Mick, <laughs> oh, what do you have for number one? Well, the, the, yeah, oh. number one, and I'm telling you, this guy oh, if, if he's not the worst and most overhyped, back, sadly, when I was working with the AWA, there was a guy by the name of J.T. Southern. And I'm not sure how many wrestling fans remember him, but this is 1980s, remember. So you got the 80s hair bands and everything else going, and J.T. Southern came in. There was a couple of guys with initials that were getting pushed in the AWA. One deserved it was D.J. Peterson, the late D.J. Peterson. And then you had J.T. Southern. And J.T. was in real quick. They tried to get him over, you know, as this big, you know, teen idol, whatever. 
and sadly, it, it, it just didn't work. One night in Whitewater, Wisconsin, there's a battle royal going on, and I'm doing the ring announcing. I'm sitting behind Vern Gagne and Rod Trongard, and I forget the move that J.T. Southern was doing during this battle royal. Everybody scattered around the ring. I don't remember if it was a, a, a hip lock takeover or a step over toe hold, something that did not belong in a battle royal. And Vern Gagne, within earshot of the microphone, says, God damn it, he's fired. He'll never work here again. I don't remember if that was JT's last match. <laughs> but I think he learned that you do not do a, uh, a side headlock takeover in <laughs> Battle Royal. So that, that would be my, my first guy would be JT Southern. Well, and it's interesting when you talk about doing something in a battle royal, because if you saw most battle royals, you know, you had 15, 20, 25 guys that they'd introduce. How big is the mm -hmm. ring? How big are these wrestlers? There's very little moving room. Exactly. Other than these yeah. guys could just slowly dance around. So, you know, Edward Carpentier cannot be doing his off the top rope backflips. You know, he's going to kill six wrestlers doing it. <laughs> Well, yeah, J.T. Southern, you know, forget the wrestling holds and come in and try to throw somebody over the top hole. <laughs> All right, what do you got for number two there, George? Well, number two, speaking of big guys, and I want to say this before I talk about the rest of my guys. I applaud every single wrestler, and I appreciate what they did in the ring and the, and the, the, the ability they brought in, sometimes lack thereof but I, I applaud them. This guy, by no fault of his own, uh, I think he was overrated. And that is, believe it or not, Chris Taylor. Now, Chris Taylor was about 450 pounds, I think they billed him at. He was a tremendous amateur wrestler. And he could, he could do it, the real thing. But it was his size and his lack of... Uh, movement in the ring and when you saw him wrestle a guy like nick bockwinkle which we had to witness poor nick God, you I make mean, it sound was, so bad oh we had to witness it it's like you were you were well, tortured it, well it was similar to doing an anima and then the results you know but <laughs> poor nick he had to do everything for chris taylor to make chris taylor look better than he was and he had excellent training. Vern trained Chris Taylor and had big hopes for him. Vern loved the amateurs and the real mm -hmm. wrestlers, and God bless him for that. But Taylor, he just didn't have the excitement. He was as boring as they come. I mean, he couldn't do an interview, and his matches were absolutely sleepers. And to his credit, uh, he, he could have been champion if he'd have just had more charisma, and he didn't do it. Fans were bored. And there was a time when he was introduced, you know, you go buy a hot dog. And that's sad. But and I admire Chris for what he did. Sadly, Chris Taylor, you know, met an early demise. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, he actually was injured and cut wide open in a wrestling match. And then he went into the hospital and I had a horrible staph infection, as I recall. And he went from 450 down to probably about 180, 190. It was just wow. a horrendous transformation. And sadly, Chris, you know, was not with us for very long. He dealt with phlebitis a few times. Yes. yes. Uh, yep. And uh, it was his weight that was his detriment. 
And again, the promotions, you know, in those days, they tried to always bring in some big guy based on size. That guy was supposed to be Superman and it didn't always, you know, work out in the ring. Chris was outside the ring, a very nice guy. And, but he was just overrated Mm -hmm. for professional wrestling. All right, Mick, uh, what do you got for number two? Number two, and I really hate to do this because he was he was a real nice guy. And again, he attained a lot of success on the wrestling scene, but I think overrated. And uh, that gentleman is Rufus R. Jones. There's Rufus right there. Uh, had tremendous success in the Central States. They brought him up to the AWA and... They, they really did insert him in a lot of great programs and angles with Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson and Nick Bockwinkel. Rufus's best match, best performance, was probably against Nick. Uh, sad to say he kind of was in that stereotypical, uh, the way they portrayed uh, the African-American wrestlers back then. Um, so he didn't get a, a chance to do much other than a gimmick so to speak. And I, I believe his catchphrase was save them bones, Rufus Jones. And uh, it, it, it just really didn't work for me. I mean, a very popular guy, but I could see Rufus as a mid card guy. And what people don't know, a little aside, Rufus Jones is the father of former WWF manager, the Reverend Slick. Yep. So there you go. You know, one of the things that you bring up here, too, is is Rufus in Minneapolis. When he would be introduced, um, for some reason, the fans just didn't react with the claps or the yays. Um, he, was, he wasn't colorful enough for the Minneapolis Twin City fans, AWA fans. But Mick pointed out about the Central States. I was in St. Louis three or four times and saw Rufus Jones. And I'm telling you, when... When they introduced Rufus R. Jones in St. Louis, the roof went off of the Keel Auditorium because he was over, huge. And it, I, I think it was a demographics. Mm-hmm. The, yep. uh, the Afri- yeah. African-American population at that time frame was very strong in Missouri, St. Louis. Yeah. And Rufus was a hero. And that was great. Mm-hmm. And it was like seeing two different wrestlers. it's interesting you bring up the demographics because I think if you look at different territories, you can tell that there were different ethnicities that just seemed to, to resonate with different fan bases. And it's really unfortunate that somebody like that did not get his kudos in a territory like the AWA. Just real quickly to piggyback on that, Chris, I think a perfect example of that is Bruno Sammartino. Uh, yeah. Bruno was very popular, but he owned Madison Square Garden for years because the Italian population in New York City. So it, it definitely is a matter of demographics. And uh, Rufus, you know, like George said, here in the Twin Cities area, moderate success, uh, fan appeal. Eh, that's kind of the way it was. All right, uh, George, what do you have for number three? Well, this one here. If you picked up any wrestling magazine in the late 60s, during the 70s on the newsstand, um, all around California, down in Texas, went to Japan. One of the guys that was on the cover was a guy, a mask guy by the name of Mil Mascaris, a man of a thousand masks. And he was a baby face and he was over 
in those territories. Uh, very, very charismatic on the covers. His gimmick, he, he claims he never wore the same mask twice in The Man of a Thousand Masks. Mm -hmm. uh, his outfits were spectacular. But ironically, when he came into the AWA, which relatively was a cup of coffee as we refer to it, when he was introduced as this renowned star, Mil Mascaris, um, literally, the audience was silent. And he did, he, it's the truth. And he didn't get over. I mean, his opponent got more cheers and they were heels. Did, did they just not know who he was or did they not? The fans like knew. The fans knew. It's just that his particular style of wrestling mm -hmm. and the gimmick didn't go over. And, you know, I don't know why, why that is in, in the Twin Cities or the AWA, but Mascaris was short-lived and he really wasn't over. I mean, I sat through a couple of his Twin Cities matches and he didn't get any applause or accolades. Um, it's hard to say. And he was overhyped, overhyped here nationally, you know, out in California, like he would have did what Rufus did in St. Louis. And that's, again, back to that demographics. I think that's interesting, George, that you phrase it like that, because in today's day and age, I feel like if there's a name, people are people pay more attention to the name than they do the style of wrestling words. You know, you hear there's going to be, you know, wrestler X is going to go from WWE to AEW. It doesn't matter the style. It's just a matter of hearing the name and that person is going to be making an appearance. If that makes sense, it does it. I mean, it just seems so different now in the way that wrestling fans, the way that they approach and the way that they follow the individuals, it's more about the name rather than the style. I mean, would you agree with that, Mick? Absolutely. And, you know, I, you talk, Chris, about how in this day and age, it's completely different. That's it. That's it on so many levels. I mean, as we're talking here week after week and we're making these comparisons back to the old days, mm -hmm. whether it's because of demographics or, you know, fans reacting just because of a guy's name, it is apples and oranges. There is really no, there's no resemblance to old school professional wrestling, AWA, other than the fact that you got wrestlers in a ring. Um, beyond that, everything has changed. The internet has changed so much. Everybody knows when somebody's going to be, you know, their contract is up and they're going to another territory. So all that kind of plays into it. One of the things that I would add with Mascaris is I think that the problem was is why would you have, other than when Dr. X did this, but why would you have a baby face masked man? Yeah. That took away from the mask yeah. gimmick so much. That's that's a yeah, no, that's a really good mask point. idea was is you had a guy who put a mask on because the other wrestlers were avoiding him and wouldn't give him title shots, or they don't know who he is. The mystery of it, and you bring mm -hmm. in a guy that's a good guy and put a mask on him, and it didn't have the same flavor. The only reason it worked for Doctor X was because he had been a heel here, and reverted to being a baby. That made sense. But with Mascaris, he was unknown, and there was no there was no reason to unmask him. Yeah, that that, that is a really good point. I never would have thought about that, George, in terms of like why you would mask a heel, but you you wouldn't mask a baby face. That's I've never really thought about it that way. That's well, the whole a, the whole the whole point. thing with the mask gimmick, which worked so well, is that 
The promoters claimed they didn't know who the guy was. They didn't know where mm-hmm. he lived. They didn't know his weight, which, you know, if you're smart enough, you say, well, wait a minute, they're paying this guy. They, they You know, he's got to have a phone number that's in the phone book. You can cross directory the phone number. I mean, logic told you that it was easy to figure out. Yet, yeah. None of the wrestlers knew when he left the ring, he went to the locker room. Well, they didn't see him undressed, get dressed and leave the building. I mean, but either we weren't that smart, the fans, or we just bought into the the uh, disbelief that we accepted it, that this man is totally masked and he's fighting for that identity so we can't see his face. I'll bet you that that phone book from Parts Unknown is just like this thick. It's, really popular. it's a highly populated uh, city. Yeah, the, right at the corner of Kayfabe and, uh, you know, Broadway, you know, so. Okay. Uh, Broadway. Uh, yeah, Broadway, yeah. What do you got for, uh, what do you got for your next one for, uh, I believe you're at number three here, Mick. Number three. Here's a guy that, uh, as we say again, came in for a cup of coffee. And he was probably in too long for that. Uh, actually, the, the coffee brewed way too long, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he was billed as a man who was bigger than Andre the Giant. And that was the big spooch, because there he is. And that, of course, doesn't give you a glimpse of his size. But that is John Harris, who wrestled here in the AWA area as Silo Sam. And I don't know, I don't remember what the, if they build him at seven foot seven or 15 foot six or whatever they build him at, but he was another one of these scuffling guys. Uh, and I'm telling you from the time he got into the ring, if you, if you wanted a lullaby for your baby, put the baby in front of the TV screen and let him watch Silo Sam. He was horrendous. They put him over in a couple of battle royals, as I recall, but he could do absolutely nothing. And the fans, the fans knew. Even the fans did not take to this guy. They knew it was the AWA's attempt at, at uh, you know, coming up with something equivalent, equivalent of Andre the Giant, but just total disaster. The thing about Silo Sam, too, as Mick pointed out about his attire, you know, he pretty much uh, made the fiscal year that year for Levi Strauss with his uh, blue jeans that he wore. He wore a pair of these bib overalls, and they had to be specially made because there's nobody that has a size like that at J.C. Penney's or wherever you buy your your uh, jeans. And but he was he was the he was the shits. Yeah. Hmm. Would they call that the, the drizzling shits? Is that the, the drizzling yep. shits? Is that the the proper term? Is that that's yep. the technical term? That's it. All right, uh, Georgie, what do you got uh, as we're going over uh, under uh, overrated rather? uh, What do you got for number four? Well, we've been talking about the demographics and the population and the ethnic uh, populations of various territories. And this one here, Pedro Morales. He was the WWF champion. He was a WWA champion out in the West Coast. There he is right there. Tremendous star in Florida. Had a great career, but in New York with the Puerto Rican uh, population, very over. Although he wasn't as over as Bruno was with the Italian population. And that was something they discovered when the title was put on him. But he drew because of his ethnic background. And it wasn't that Pedro was a bad wrestler. It was that when he came to Minneapolis, and when I say Minneapolis, I'm always referring to AWA. 
the fans would hear the introduction. And that was one of the few times when the AWA acknowledged that he was a former WWW. It was still WWWF in those days. Champion. And the fans could have cared least. And he didn't get over. And he wrestled. He was put into high-profile matches with the Super Destroyer, who was Don Jardine. And they had had a feud in New York and done very well with it. He was put into a program, a long-running program, with Angelo King Kong Mosca. And he also had title shots with Nick Bockwinkel. And they didn't draw well. Yeah. So again, why, I mean, why did, because I, my understanding was back in the day that one territory never acknowledged another one's champion, especially, you know, WWWF, AWF. Why, why did they do it for Pedro Morales? Was that just trying to get him, trying to get him over? Exactly. Exactly. That, that was part of it that we're bringing in this W, this former WWWF champion. And the only other time Vern ever did that was he actually acknowledged Ivan Koloff when he came in as being the man that had defeated Bruno for the title. Otherwise, they never mentioned it. But Pedro, they tried to get him over. And a lot of times he was in tag team matches. I remember one time he was introduced. Greg Gagne did not appear with Jim in a tag team match. And they brought in Pedro and the fans booed. They were booing that Greg wasn't there, which is interesting in itself. Because usually Greg gets the get, is the one that takes the heat on the High Flyers team, but Pedro just didn't get over, and his his stay here was relatively mm-hmm. short. Yeah. He had had he had also had a great program here with Ray Stevens, and Ray Stevens was mm-hmm. the one that carried him. And what Vern was trying to do with Pedro was with Ray Stevens and with the Super Destroyer, he was trying to create some fire that those two guys had mm-hmm. had in other territories. And it didn't work out here. And it wasn't Pedro's fault. It's just that the fans were not enamored with him. And he was just overrated for this territory. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit, just real briefly about Morales. Uh, George had mentioned his feud with the Super Destroyer. And I told you guys before we, we started the, the tape rolling here, one particular evening, they're interviewing Pedro Morales on Minneapolis TV. Marty O'Neill is interviewing him. And, and Pedro, you know, Marty says, Pedro, how about a few words to your Spanish-speaking audience? And Pedro, you know, just going all in, in Spanish. He leaves, he exits stage left, and super destroyer Don Jardine walks in, and he says to Marty O'Neill, I didn't understand one word that guy just said, but whatever he said it was wrong. <laughs> that was that was one of the uh, yeah super destroyer Don Jardine. Okay, uh, number four, huh? Yes. What you got? Talk about the drizzling shits. This, uh, you know, with a capital D, and I'm not just saying this because of what I saw on television. Wrestlers have said this guy was absolutely the worst. And I'm talking about the infamous, the legendary, there he is, Rocky Mountain Thunder. And I'll wait for the applause to die down. Rocky oh, my Mount- God. It, 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 that sounds like something like a generic sort of pop I'd get at Walmart or Hy-Vee or something. I'll take a Rocky Mountain Thunder and, you know. Well, some- yeah. or, or it sounds like, you know, some stomach distress if you live in Denver. But... <laughs> 
needless to say, a Rocky Mountain Thunder, you know, another one of these scuffling guys. And if you go on YouTube, there may be a couple of Rocky Mountain Thunder matches. Oh, I hope not. And one of my buddies, Mike Moran, uh, who wrestled in the AWA uh, back in the day, had the misfortune of wrestling Rocky Mountain Thunder. If you can endure, ladies and gentlemen, a couple of minutes of absolute agony, it's like getting a root canal without Novocaine. Uh, Rocky Mountain Thunder is your guy. Talk about overhyped, and thank goodness the AWA pulled the plug on that one. Boom, right out of the box. That picture you showed of him looked like Marty Jannetty on a bad hair day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Marty Jannetty reference. Oh, oh, I can't say Marty Jannetty. Yeah. The Midnight Rockers. That's correct. Don't cost us. A, don't cost us money here, Mick. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be like the Candyman, right? You can't say Jannetty three times in a row, otherwise he's going to like pop up behind you. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right. Uh, finally, as we're uh, getting into the uh, the overrated, uh, what do you have for your last one, George? Well, this one I'm probably going to take some heat on, and. It's a matter of opinion, I guess. But in this overrated department, and I'm speaking strictly the AWA proper, and I'm talking about a guy, and he was even our AWA world champion for a while. I'm talking about Jerry the King Lawler. Wow. There he is right there. Overrated in the AWA. And here's why, kids. Mm. Okay. Okay. Put your head up to the screen and listen. Here's why. In the AWA, that's good. Put the big ear up. The Jerry the King Lawler in the in the Twin City AWA market was not well received, despite the fact that he was a national figure. He was on magazine covers. Fans really didn't respond to him like they did the Nick Bockwinkles and the other AWA champions. Now, all of that said, you move him down to Memphis. And he truly was the king. There's no doubt about it. And he was as over as any wrestler could be. There was no one that could touch him in the South. But when you come up here to the North, when they first brought him up, they introduced him. He'd come into the ring holding his crown and his his robe that he had on. And the fans, again, almost like, is it over yet? They made him his champion, and Vern did that out of desperation. That was another desperation title move. He had to have a national name. He thought Lawler and him were working, or Jarrett, Jerry Jarrett Mm -hmm. and him were working together. Lawler was their big star. They wanted the title on Jerry down there, Jerry Lawler, and Vern went along with it. But it didn't fit well for the AWA. And fans, that's just the way it is. He did not deserve the push he got here. He was a good star, but he would have been somebody mm-hmm. they could have brought in and let others beat him, and he could have had the same response. See, in, in this case, I'm not sure if deserve the push is is the right terminology. I think it just didn't work. I mean, Jerry Lawler, in my estimation, is one of the great workers of all time. Yes. Mm-hmm. He really is a tremendous – he's an all-time great. Yes. So did he deserve a push? Yes, did the push fall flat on its face? 
Yes. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I think but he was say, overrated for our territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and we need to continue to specify that the uh, this is not an overarching conversation. This is just exclusively when it comes to the AWA and the Minneapolis territory. So uh, again, yeah, that's why, like you said, the, the Pedro Morales, the Mil Mascaras, uh, Jerry Lawler, that's why they're all on here. All right, uh, Mick, you're, uh, you're, oh, go ahead here, George. Well, I was just going to say, and that you just gave all the examples that when they were introduced in the AWA, mm -hmm. it was just the fans did not react, but you put them into their respective homeland territories. Sure, yeah. And they were over. And I would probably say that that happened with the Crusher as well. The Crusher was not as well received in New York and Atlanta mm -hmm. as he was in the AWA. Yep. And uh, Mick, what do you have for uh, number five here? Save the uh, the best, I guess, for last. Uh, former AWA heavyweight champion. And to this day, I don't get it. Um he was certainly over huge in Europe. Uh, that's a later picture of him there. Uh, that is the late AWA heavyweight champion, Otto Vance. Otto, of course, uh, from Austria. He came in the AWA and won the championship from Nick Bockwinkel in 1982. And when I say won, this is probably the only time that I can recall that Vern cut a business deal uh, with Otto Vance. Uh, Otto was huge, as I said, in the CWA, the Catch Wrestling Association uh, over in Europe. And Otto wanted to get the AWA rub. He wanted to get some notoriety behind him. And he literally paid Vern $50,000 for a short run with the AWA championship. It looked great on his resume. It put him over huge uh, back in his homeland. But as a wrestler, I, I, I don't get it. I, you know, I, I guess I, I didn't see Otto Vance obviously wrestling in, you know, in Europe. Mm -hmm. What I saw from him here, very limited in his maneuvers. His big finish was a steamroller, basically, you know, a, a somersault maneuver. Claim to fame, tearing phone books in half. And uh, for thankfully a short time, he was the AWA champion. I mean, thankfully in terms of duration. But uh, I would say on the list of AWA champions over the years, I don't think mm -hmm. they get much worse in my mind mm -hmm. than Autobots. Yeah. And you know what's really sad about that is that in Austria, he was the biggest star. He It was his promotion. He was the Vern Gagne of his promotion. He was over huge. They'd bring guys in for tournaments, and it was Otto that you had to beat, and you couldn't beat over there. What a lot of fans don't know is that Vern was looking at this point in time. He wanted to give the AWA that international world uh, attention, and mm -hmm. by bringing in an outsider – Here's, here's the reason that it was appealing to Vern with the 50000 not only because of the money, but in Otto Vance, he showed the fans that on any given night, any wrestler could beat another wrestler, and especially the champion. Now, here's something that a lot of fans didn't know. We've got about a minute here, George, and then we're going to get into our uh, underrated. Did not know. Bobby Heenan did not know that Nick was going to lose the title that night. It was only between Vern, Nick, and Otto. 
and oh, Bobby wow. was legitimately surprised. That's how secret it was. Nick knew, but Bobby didn't. And Bobby was relatively tipped at, ticked after that. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I could understand why, you know, if you're out there and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. All right, let's, um, I know we've got some honorable mentions. We got about 16, 17 minutes left. So we're going to go ahead and bypass the honorable mentions because I want to get to uh, the uh, the underrated ones, the one that you guys thought deserved better. And uh, George, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and start with this one? Well, I'm going to start with Jim Osborne, double X. Jim Osborne was a, a good talent, a good hand, a good worker, as everybody would refer to him. He had moderate success in other territories. He had some pushes, uh, teamed with a lot of guys. He came into the AWA, and Vern, uh, we just say Vern promotion, did not know how to use him right, was putting him in preliminary matches. There he is, Jim Osborne. And it was Dr. X, Dick Beyer, who went to Vern Gagne and said, give me Osborne. Let me work with him. Let, give him to me. And that's where the double X idea came up. It was Dick's idea. And he took double X, a lookalike to Dr. X, and they wrestled tag teams. But again, it was a short-lived thing. And here's where I think Vern missed the ball. When Dr. X then left the AWA in 70, August, double X was still around here, Dr. Jim Osborne. And I think that Vern could have capitalized on the notoriety that he had achieved with Doc, and he didn't. Double X was back down into opening mm -hmm. matches, and he was much better talent than that. He went down south and became Dr. X mm -hmm. down there, and the rest is history. All right, Mick, what do you have for uh, your underrated? Because we're, we're running a little long here. Number one on my underrated is a guy who had been a veteran star everywhere, and uh, his name was the Mongolian Stomper. Uh, he actually, his, his real name was Archie Goldie, and Stomper was, he was a nationally recognized talent. He was over huge all over the world, came into the AWA as part of the Sheik's Army, it was later on in his career, and it just didn't get over. He was a tremendous heel, but he, he appeared to be kind of like the fifth wheel uh, in the Sheik's Army at that LKC. So I think he deserved a lot better than he got, but it's a matter of timing. And uh, unfortunately, the stopper did not go over as the rest of the guys in Sheik's Army. All right, then, uh, George, what do you got for your uh, next one? You're uh, underrated here. Crazy Luke Graham, national name, part of the famous Graham brothers. He comes into the AWA after being a WWA champion and champion in other territories and tag team champion, very much in the newsstand magazines. People knew who he was. He came in here and he actually got good booze when he was introduced. He had a gimmick where he'd use his taped thumb and jab it into his opponent's throat. Of course, the referee was always out buying popcorn when this happened and missed it. His interviews were great because when he was talking to Marty O'Neill, he would be reaching for flies and grabbing, grabbing like he's grabbing at the air. And don't call me crazy. The fans appreciated him and they cheered, they cheered him in the sense that they booed him. And Vern never elevated him to the upper echelon of the cards. And I really felt that that was a mistake because Crazy Look could have done it for, for the AWA. But, uh, what do you got for your uh, next one here, Mick? Uh, I believe we are at, uh, what, number two for you? 
Number two for me is a guy that fans will recognize if they take a close look at his uh, his face. Um, the man, Dizzy Ed Boulder. And uh, Dizzy Ed came in at the same time that Hulk Hogan came into the AWA area. And, of course, Dizzy Ed Boulder transformed eventually into Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Uh, so Ed Leslie, the man of a, a, a thousand names, a thousand gimmicks. Uh, I I really got a kick out of Dizzy Ed. He had charisma. The fans were buying into him, even though he was opening match, second match uh, on the card. There he is. That's that's Brother Brudai with the with the long blonde hair. And uh, I I just think they could have done more with Dizzy Ed than they did, especially considering. Hogan was here, and he could have taken care of him. But, uh, again, the cup of coffee run here in the AWA, and Dizzy Ed hit the bricks. I had no idea that that was uh, Ed Leslie. I mean, I, I had, like, no idea until until you said it. Like, I, I didn't even it didn't even register with me. Uh, what do you got for your number three here, George? I'm going to go with a guy that uh, was a great English wrestler, Jeff Ports. Absolutely fun and enjoyable to watch. And he had some success with Billy Robinson in tag team matches. But other than that, Jeff was relegated to the preliminaries and usually not put over. And he was so good. He was everything that Billy Robinson was. Maybe that's where the, where it ended for him. I don't know. But I always had a theory that Vern did not want another wrestler to be popular that could really wrestle. And that was probably Billy's part, a problem as well. Vern didn't want somebody more popular. And Jeff Ports just was over with the fans. They loved him, but he didn't get the push. And he could have done a lot for legitimizing wrestling. It is Did Vern do that to a lot of guys where if he felt like maybe his position was the most popular and the most technical one, did, did he just kind of put the kibosh on things if he felt like maybe he was in danger of being overshadowed? It's usually the way the reason that a uh, babyface wasn't AWA champion for any real long periods of time, because Vern and I'm sorry, I, I feel this way and I think it's true. He didn't want to have the fans ever like somebody more than he perceived himself to be liked. And in a, in a sense, it uh, short circuit a lot of mm-hmm. careers. Mick, what do you got for uh, number three here? Number three is a guy that. Uh, uh, a terrific guy outside the ring, a great trainer, a great amateur wrestler. I'm talking about Brad Rangins. And Brad was elevated to main event status on a couple of occasions. For the most part, he was a mid-card guy, and I have to believe that's because his promos were not very good. He was a soft-spoken guy, strong as an ox. Anybody who in the ring with Brad Ringens. He was a Greco-Roman wrestler. Yeah. And he was the real deal. I mean, really accomplished. Oh, he was phenomenal. What I would have done with Brad Ringens, because his promo skills were not great, I would have turned him heel immediately. I would have put him with Bobby Heenan, have Brad stand there, you know, during the promos, like this arrogant, uh, you know, Olympic-level wrestler, and have Bobby do the talking for him. Um I, again, in the scheme of things, AWA history, Brad is kind of a blip on the radar. Uh, I think they could have done much more with him. And again, outside the ring, great guy. Great guy in the world. Yep. Yeah. 
And Brad Riggins is one of those names that I remember watching just being like so impressed. And he was one of those guys that I thought was, you believed everything with Brad Absolutely. Riggins. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, Georgie, what you got for number four? Roger Nature Boy Kirby. Oh, boy. You talk about Crazy Luke not getting the, the rub that he needed and deserved. Roger Kirby was a talent in the ring all over the United States, in Japan and Canada. He was a, he could really work. He strutted. He was cocky. He was arrogant. The fans booed him. He was good on interviews. And when he came to the AWA, he was relegated to the preliminaries and usually doing the job. And I didn't understand why Vern wouldn't have capitalized with a, a talent like this. He was a former NWA junior heavyweight champion. So he was one of those guys that just deserved it, and Vern didn't see it. All right. Uh, what do you got for your next one, Mick? One of my favorites of all time, and he did get into some main event programs, uh, particularly with or against Wahoo McDaniel. Passed away not all that long ago, uh, Buddy Wolf. Uh, Buddy, of course, at one time was actually married to Vivian Vachon. There's Buddy. Uh, a great technical wrestler, a great amateur wrestler. Went to school with Larry Hainimi, uh, teamed up with him on occasion, uh, Lars Anderson. Buddy Wolf, to me, might be the most underrated guy in AWA history. He had everything. He had talent. He had charisma. He had promo skills. He had everything going and of course, you know, he infamously fought Muhammad Ali on uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports as well. So a nice little payday for Buddy Wolf. But I think they could have done so much more with him than they did uh, and, and gone much too soon. Another terrific guy outside the ring. And, you know, here's where, where Vern missed it. He, Buddy Wolf wrestled against Muhammad Ali in the exhibition. And off of that... Buddy became popular, and they actually gave him a title shot with Nick Bockwinkel, where Buddy was cheered heavily against Nick in those title matches. And they could have carried that through and kept Buddy on top. And after the Nick title match, Buddy was back down in the second match on the card. It didn't make sense because the fans bought him. They bought into him. And they did when he was teamed with Larry Hainimi as well. well why didn't, didn't Vern... Did he not hear the response that, that Buddy Wolf got? I mean, why, if, if something's working and the fans are behind it, why would you not run with it? Did he just kind of have his own idea of where he wanted things to go and a guy was going to be in a certain position of the card no matter what? I think it had a lot to do with the fact that Buddy Wolf was local, wasn't really going to go anywhere in Vern's eyes, that, I mean, as far as leaving the territory. I think he felt he had Buddy here and he didn't have he was to worry a safety about net. He, was he a didn't, safety didn't net. go elsewhere. But he just missed it with that Bachwinkle match because, Mick, you were there. You saw Nick mm -hmm. wrestle him. And Buddy was huge over that night. And they could have taken that farther. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, we got one more here. I believe that, uh, George, this is your uh, last underrated. And uh, what say you? This is underrated. And I'm talking about a guy named Alan Rock Rogowski. He was the first Rock. And later on, he became Ole Anderson, the famous Anderson brothers. The interesting thing about The Rock is that Vern trained him for the business, and then he didn't utilize him to the talent that he had. Rock Rogowski was one of those few guys that came out of the camp, the Vern Gagne camp, and he had it all. 
He had the size. He had the look. He, he could work in the ring. Cowboy Bill Watts said that he was one of the greatest guys he worked with as a rookie. And Vern didn't keep him here. He let him go. And we know the history on that. He went south, became mm-hmm. an Anderson, never really came back. And he was from here. So he could have been Vern's big deal. And he would have been over. And I think either as a baby or a heel, he could have been over as big as the crusher or the bruiser of who he was reported to be related to when he was the rock. Interesting. And uh, Mick, what do you got for your last one here? My estimation, the single most underrated guy that should have gotten a major push in the AWA. And I think this is all a matter of timing. Um, I'm talking about the late lethal Larry Cameron. And in the AWA, I believe he was Larry the Butcher Cameron. I had an opportunity to watch Larry as a monster heel on a tour of Australia in 1991. This guy had so much charisma. He was so believable. He was a bully. He was a tough guy, uh, arrogant to a fault. He could cut promos with the best of them. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, AWA again, by the time Larry arrived in the AWA, you know, uh, they were already pretty much packing their bags. So timing is everything. But uh, Larry Cameron was a gem of a guy outside the ring, but legitimately this man could have been a superstar. He was over huge in the Calgary area. And uh, sadly, Larry, I had to make the announcement to the crowd at George's and Fridley years ago uh, when word came out that Larry had died of a heart attack uh, prior to a match in Germany. Um, But to me, the single most underrated guy, he deserved the moon. Hmm. All right, guys. Uh, that being said, we got about uh, three, four minutes left here. Um, I know we've got some trivia we got to get in. So, uh, Mick, why don't you tell everybody what is this week's trivia question? This week's trivia question has to do with the late, great, adorable Adrian Adonis. Now, little clue, Adrian, of course, tragically passed away in an auto accident in 1988. He was in the AWA, then went out to New York, etc. came back to the AWA. I want to know who were the last two wrestlers that had ongoing feuds with Adrian Adonis, his last run in the AWA. There you go. And uh, if you know, you can email Mick at mickkarch at gmail.com or George at uh, gsshire at comcast.net. And uh, guys, I, I know that we were running a, a little long with our, um, with our, you know, um, overrated ones. Uh, do you guys just want to give a quick honorable mention, maybe a, a 30 seconds uh, to mention your uh, two honorable mentions? We got a couple minutes left. I know that, uh, George, who did you have on your honorable mention, overrated, underrated? I had Chris Tolos, and that would surprise a lot of people because Chris Tolos was a national star uh, around the country and out of the country famous with his brother, John, as the Tolos brothers, the Canadian wrecking crew. But as a singles man in the AWA, uh, the fans didn't react to him and they put him in a major feud with the Crusher. It was the Crusher that got the crowd there. It wasn't Chris. And ironically, um, his stint was relatively short, but he was not suited to be a singles wrestler. And uh, what did you have on your uh, overrated, Mick? I'm going to go with Billy Jack Strong, who is actually Steve DeSalvo, who uh, did pretty well up in Canada. Uh, He came into the AWA in 1987, 
big, strong, tough, powerful guy and absolutely fiddled. Uh, didn't go anywhere. A uh, Billy Jack strong. And uh, about 30 seconds on your uh, one more underrated there, George, and then I'll give it to Mick. And then uh, underrated we'll a guy we've talked about before, Stan Pulaski, Eric Pomeroy. He deserved it. He could do promos. He could wrestle. He could work. He was excellent in the ring. Everyone enjoyed working with him, and Vern just never used him. And uh, your last one, Mick? Our friend Eddie Sharkey. Eddie had a lot of years in the AWA, very, very popular. They should have put the, the junior heavyweight title, at least for a short term, mm -hmm. on Eddie Sharkey. Eddie could have been a main eventer in the Twin Cities area. He was that popular, and uh, definitely, Eddie should have been the guy. Yeah, everybody in this area knows Eddie Sharkey. I mean, yep. if you don't know Eddie Sharkey in the Twin Cities, you don't know, you, you don't know shit about wrestling in the Twin Cities. Let's just wow. say can, wow. I, can I can I say shit? It's your show. You're the producer. Well, I'm great. I'm gonna. You wouldn't to let end. me say before the show started, but now you come in with shit. So I don't know. Uh, there goes George. There goes George. Okay, there is. There's, all right, uh, guys, appreciate it. Don't say. I won't say shit, and I think we'll be okay.